You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Just like that, the second hour is here. Glad you're with us. Monday edition, Hutton Withrow with you for Outkick 360. 6th and Peabody, our location each and every day with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. The Chicago Bears, they've reportedly now decided they're leaning towards trading out of the number one overall selection. In effect, guaranteeing that they're sticking with Justin Fields for the foreseeable future. Uh, Adam Schefter with the tweet earlier today. The Bears have already been approached by multiple teams about trading the draft's number one overall pick, and Chicago is said to be leaning toward moving the pick. So the number one pick is now, uh, looks like it's, it's for sale. The question is to which organization? Who's going to fall in love with one of these quarterbacks this week, or maybe they already have? But we will see multiple reports um, involving multiple QBs that will be considered for number one overall. And the price tag is higher because of the need at quarterback for Houston, who picks second. But if you're Houston, now you got to jump up there and grab number one if you want your guy. And it could be any of them. But if you want your guy, if you're Houston, after winning at the end of the season and Chicago losing, in effect, guaranteeing that flip-flop from number one to number two. Now you may need to do it by trading draft picks. And Houston can move up to number one. Potentially, Chicago still gets the, the best defender, whoever that might be. They could get the best defender on the board by the fourth selection, for instance, which is currently Indianapolis, who's also quarterback needy. If I'm Chicago, I am hoping that, first off, whoever you are, you're wanting to get up to number one if you're quarterback needy. Got to have it. And you know who your guy is. Yep. The only way that Houston would be okay you know, sitting there at two would be to say, oh, we're kind of undecided on uh, Stroud and, 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 and Bryce Young. I, I just don't think that front offices and GMs would operate that way. They've got their guy. They know one way or the other. So you trade up and get that guy. Now, if I'm wanting to do business and, I, and I'm the Bears – I'm really hoping that Carolina at nine or Indy, which is you know right in the middle there, sandwiched mm -hmm. in the middle of those top ten picks, I want one of those franchises to have to trade up or want to trade up because you're going to get more of a haul in return. Yes. And I'm fine moving down to, let's say, nine. I've always circled Carolina as a team that could move up. David Tepper desperate to get that franchise guy. What if it's Bryce Young? So they give up a ton, move up from nine to one, Bears move back to nine, get a haul of picks or whatever it is in return to do that so Carolina can uh, trade up to get Bryce Young. To me, that's the dream scenario. No surprise that the Bears want to trade this pick. When I see a report like this, Hutton, I also immediately think they must now be getting some serious offers. Yeah. Or, you know, they're, they're knowing what they're going to get. So now let's we can put it out there to Adam Schefter. Yeah, we're leaning towards trading this pick because the haul we're going to get in return is pretty enticing. And they probably have, you know, a couple of different teams they're talking with right now to drive up that price. And this is normally where you, you will see some conversations happen for, for the draft. Scenarios will be tossed around. 
This is where the, the, the Titans traded back out of number one to pick 12 the year they drafted Jack Conklin and the year that the Rams went with Jared Goff. They were talking about this trade this week at the NFL Combine. So it's uh, not surprising that the news starts to come out as agents and teams and media arrive in Indianapolis, especially the, the likes of you know Albert Breer, Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport, and, and others, there will be more of this. And we already discussed the hype train that will be Will Levis and Anthony Richardson this week. They'll both be throwing at the combine, as will C.J. Stroud. Bryce Young will work out at his pro day, but he'll be going through all the measurements uh, where the report is he's going to be uh, five ten and a half is is what the uh, official measurement's going to be. We won't have that till later in the week, but that was the report. And... The question then comes down to, are you comfortable with the smaller stature QB at number one, and what's the value of getting ahead of Houston to get him? How important is he to your franchise versus a C.J. Stroud or Will Levis, which you can get in the top ten? And if you're Chicago, you've got roughly $100 million in cap space. This is the right decision. $100 million in cap space to build around your franchise QB that you traded up for a couple of seasons ago, it's time to build around it. The one quarterback, Chad, going into this, this season, this past season, that didn't have the luxury of the salary cap space and the moves that were being made was Fields. The other second-year quarterbacks had more of a buy-in from the free agent market to get some help. And now it's, now it's Fields' turn as Chicago turns to the trade options. They will get a nice haul for number one this year. I realize in saying this that with the Giants, it was really just the coaching change and philosophical change that led to Daniel Jones having a breakout season this past year and getting better coaching from Brian Dayball. That is what I would expect if I'm the Bears from Justin Fields. I'm not sold on him as a player. Mm -hmm. They've also given him nothing. Right. Nothing. But with that cap space they have, with draft pick possibilities – I'm not saying the guy's going to be all pro overnight, but there needs to be a substantial move up from a play standpoint for Justin Fields based on what you provide around him this offseason. Bears are in a great position to provide a lot around him and upgrade at a number of spots to help out their young quarterback, but he's got to take the next step too. I am, I am expecting a jump the way we saw Daniel Jones yeah. from last year to this season from Justin Fields. If that happens... You feel great about him as the franchise quarterback. If that doesn't happen or it's more of the same and they add around him, the Bears will be regretting not using that number one pick on Bryce Young. That, that's, that's what's going to happen this next season. That's how big this is for Justin Fields. Uh, it's, yes, and, and too early to punt on him given what's been around him. The Bears, while they had three wins, they were competitive in some games, in large part and sometimes the only part due to what Fields was doing, more with his legs than his arm, but rushing for 1,200 yards and setting records in a single game for rushing, there are ways to maximize all of his potential. There is, uh, so I think the foregone conclusion is that we're going to see Rodgers in New York, but not everybody's on board with that. Joe Klecko, who is headed to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, uh, elected as part of the senior committee for the class of 2023. 
He was recently on the Zach Kelb show and had this to say about the possibility of Rodgers joining Gain Green. Are you hoping they find the way to pull off a deal for Rodgers? No. No, I don't. I, I don't I don't think Rodgers is a fit with the young guys. You know, I, I relate them to myself with a young team that came up when we started winning and why it was a good fit with all of us because we all worked together and came up together, you know. And I just think, you know, I've watched Rodgers over the years. He's a great player. Hey, listen, you don't become MVP three times without doing what he's done. But, you know, when he, he didn't have the, the you know, the, the the perfect arrangement with receivers and, and game plan and, and the line, you know, his his attitude was condescending so much to the players, even when they would come back to the huddle and all. And I can't see, the, you know, like Wilson, you know, he won the, the uh, rookie of the year uh, offense player. I can't see him coming back to the huddle, and, you know, Rodgers lambasting and he was running the wrong route, you know. I mean, you just – it's not going to fit. I don't see it. You know, I see a guy like Carr, who's a, you know, who's an all-pro. He hasn't been an MVP, but he's had some great years. But I, I just can't see, you know, uh, them going after, uh, after, you know, a guy that has had all his years and had his way, and then when it doesn't turn out his way, he goes dark. <laughs> you know, I, I just can't see it. So you can see him ruin the locker room is what you're saying. Absolutely. You got a young bunch of guys who are fighting with each other, and you have a coming. You have to bring a guy in who has his own opinion about things. I think that can turn a, turn a bad a bad feeling in that locker room. Former Jets defensive lineman and now a Pro Football Hall of Famer uh, this coming summer, Joe Klecko there with the thoughts through uh, Odyssey. Chad, I don't necessarily disagree with what he's saying based on this past season in Green Bay, where Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs were certainly getting the cold shoulder early on what was a young locker room, a young wide receiving core in Green Bay. It's hard to overlook the fact, though, if Rodgers joins the Jets with that defense, with the run game, and with the talent they have at receiver, that they don't make that massive leap into not just a playoff contender, but we're talking titles because Rodgers is there versus any other quarterback option right now. What Klecko is saying is completely fair. I understand where he's coming from with that uh, about Aaron Rodgers and where he is in his career and what the Jets may need right now. But ultimately what the Jets need is a really good quarterback play with the players they have around them. And Aaron Rodgers, uh, of the possible available guys, Mm -hmm. he is the far and away best option that can give you really good quarterback play. So I don't think it's a bad move for the Jets to go after Aaron Rodgers and get him. And I, I don't think it would be an issue with the locker room. Now, we talked about this last week. You need to gauge what his level of commitment is right now and how much he's going to put in to being a good teammate, to learning his teammates, to helping them along some with whatever the offense is going to look like with Aaron Rodgers, with the Jets. I understand all that. I also think, and we had a Packers writer on about this, when you doubt Aaron Rodgers and you tell him he can't do something or that he's not smart enough about something or that he's going to be bad at something, that's where he's at his best. Pissed off Aaron Rodgers is pretty good. Uh, I think he lost some of that because of his disenchantment with the Packers organization, especially this past year and the direction they went and what the roster looked like. Give him a fresh start with the Jets. Doubt him the way Joe Klecko is. Talk about his inability to get along with young players and how he's condescending in the huddle. I think that motivates Aaron Rodgers to be a great teammate and to help Garrett Wilson 
and other young stars along with that Jets team. So this may be the type of motivation that Aaron Rodgers needs if you've got Joe Klecko and others saying he can't get along and go along with the new team and help a really good young roster. Yeah, Put him on there, and I, it's one of the best landing spots he could hope for uh, this offseason based on the other scenarios and quarterbacks that will have some moving carousel feel to it uh, this offseason. Washington mentioned the headline earlier. They've released Carson Wentz. They're also, according to The Athletic and the New York Post, uh, they're banning Jeff Bezos from actually making a qualifying offer, a bid, to buy the Washington Commanders. This goes straight from uh, the, the report here where Bezos has been told by Bank of America, which is the commander's banker, that he's barred from making a bid for the embattled NFL team. The ban has reportedly been known for months. That hasn't stopped Bezos from recently hiring an investment firm to explore a bid. The reason Dan Snyder's camp is reportedly preventing one of the richest men in the world from offering billions of dollars for the team is pretty personal. This also from The Athletic. Snyder has believed for years that the Washington Post, which has been owned by Bezos for uh, a decade or so, has been working to oust him. And he's been reluctant to sell the team, despite the pleas of fans and owners likely behind the scenes, media for sure. And while the NFL owners haven't voted to push him out, they, didn't, they haven't gotten to the point where they voted and had the 25 owners vote to push him out, they're also sitting back waiting on him to sell the team so that they can just, you know, wash their hands of this and move on. And while Bezos is doing the background work, this is why the reports continue to be floated out there that they're considering a bid. Well, they're not, according to the Athletic and Washington Post, because Bezos isn't allowed to make a bid per Bank of America through, of course, Daniel Snyder. So who's really winning here? <laughs> this is the big question I have with all this because it really is just based on your perspective. I get that billionaires are all about what they own and what they can't own and not necessarily about how much money they have in their bank account. But if you're Daniel Snyder, you have run an organization into the ground and you have the world's richest man ready to cut you an enormous check, a record-setting check for a pro sports team to buy that team. You are going to take this guy's money to buy something that you ran straight into the ground. So who's really winning in that transaction right there? Now it's Daniel Snyder telling you that, well, it's Jeff Bezos winning because he owns my football team now. And I can't have a guy who trashed me and tarnished my reputation and covered me in a way that I see as unfair owning my football team. And I just laugh at it and think, first off, both kind of seem like losers at this point, but also you're both winners. Bezos gets what he wants. If you can drive up the price with Bezos and get even more in the sell than you would have with anyone else, if you're Daniel Snyder, you win also. But the pissing contest back and forth, I feel like we all kind of lose from that. It's just a funny story to me. Yeah. Daniel Snyder's not going to lose in any of this. He's no. going to get a huge payday. Right. Jeff Bezos isn't going to lose in any of this. Well, he's going to hand over the money that he has to buy an NFL team that he's always wanted, or he's not, and he's still going to have that money, and the world continues to spin right along. So the report from The Athletic also stated that the highest offer so far has been $5.5 billion. Keep in mind, the Broncos sold for roughly a million 8. less. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so if you're 
Snyder's wanting upwards of seven. Um, many thought that they, they could get a high bid of six and a half, but if you're not going to come in and offer much more than what's already been offered, either, I, and I don't think it clarifies who's made that offer. It could be uh, Josh Harris, owner of the 76ers, who also is from the D.C. area. Uh, there are others who have made uh, bids. Byron Allen, for instance. But um, recently, there's a, a one of the Tillman uh, brothers, Fertitta brothers, Tillman Fertitta, uh, in Houston, owner of the Rockets, I believe. He's also made an offer for the Commanders franchise. So there are others if you wanted to block out Bezos. And the reason why Bezos continues behind the scenes to go about this, and I mentioned this earlier during the football season, the Seattle Seahawks are going to be for sale soon. Because right now it's through the Allen Trust, where Paul Allen left it to his family. Uh, namely, I believe his sister is the one running the organization currently as the controlling owner. But it's going to get to a point where they're out of funds to, it's more profitable to sell than it is to keep the franchise because as a part of the trust, as a part of everything that Allen left, they left a great deal of it to charities. And that's where the money's going to go. So that's going to be allocated for sale. I believe the report earlier this, uh, late last year, around 2024, maybe as early as 2025. But if you know that and you're Bezos, you go ahead and do all of the background work and you go ahead and get into the pool where you're vetted to where the NFL owners you know are going to vote you through and you are the next owner of said franchise. There are ways to become an NFL owner without having to go through the channel of Daniel Snyder and it's on the foreseeable future. And it makes a ton more sense for Jeff Bezos to own the Seattle Seahawks as opposed to the Washington Commanders to me, just based on the possibility of what could happen. That makes a ton of sense if it works out that way. And, and so that, I'm just saying that's why you go through the effort, even if you're not going to be able to have your yeah. offer considered You go you know, ahead and legit. lay, if there's a team for sale, you put your name through, you do all the vetting, and that way you're lined up quickly for whatever else comes for sale at but, any point. Hey, but also, and these teams don't go come up for sale very often. No, no. And but, but also, if Snyder's not getting what he wants, does he do an about-face and just say, hey, uh, yeah, I'm not selling. I haven't received what He's I want. He's going to get what he wants. So I, I, don't, I don't foresee that being an issue for him. Well, and now more names are being dropped in. If the best bid is already, what'd you say, about a billion more than the Denver Broncos? Roughly, yeah. It's five and a half right now. I don't know how you wouldn't, how that wouldn't meet your expectations of what the team is worth if you're Daniel Snyder. Chad, another surprise team to keep an eye on for rookie quarterback and moving up, and maybe they don't have to, but based on where they're currently selecting, they unless they're in the Richardson camp, I think they're going to have to move up Tampa Bay because right now there is a belief that they're going with Kyle Trask. And while this is all true based on the depth chart they have right now, this is not the direction they're going to turn. Kyle Trask can be on the roster as the backup. He was the third string this past season. This is not the QB one. We've heard that before. We've seen the QB one things before from other franchises. Uh, namely Andy Dalton in Chicago, and then they draft Justin Fields. This is not going to last long. We had Bruce Arians on at the Super Bowl, and he even said in the interview with us, Kyle Trask is a great kid, you know, not speaking ill of him, but you know, we definitely have to look around and see what we got, what's behind door number two, what's behind door number three, 
other than Kyle Trask, um, that told me that they're going to have someone else other than him. Look, you are tanking with Trask. If he's the starter, to me, this is a clear indication that you are tanking with Trask, and I don't know who you're tanking for, but you are fine having a miserable season and getting a high draft pick and then drafting someone else. I, I would throw out where they are. You know, you mentioned Anthony Richardson, Hendon Hooker. Is he a name that yeah, rises in right. the draft? I mean, there are potential franchise quarterbacks, not right away, but you could bridge it with Kyle Trask and get to that player. I would put Richardson and Hooker in that camp that they could possibly draft as well. But, I mean, you're not winning with Kyle Trask. Jeff Darling. Bruce Arians told us that. Recently on ESPN said, quote, they do feel at least Kyle Trask is at least likely to be the guy under center. I feel pretty confident they're going that direction, end quote. Uh, for right now, yes. They're going in that direction for the offseason prior to the NFL draft. That's how I would Yeah, I mean, that. look, you got to talk about what you have on your roster right now before things happen. So there's nothing wrong with that statement, but that's what you're doing right now before you find your quarterback. Right. We have Kyle Trask, guys, so he's the best quarterback that we have. <laughs> so my inclination would be to say that Kyle Trask will be the Bucks' quarterback based on the fact that it's a bird in hand and we have him, so he's probably going to be the guy. It really means nothing. It also tells me that they're still looking around trying to find a better option. Coming up, by the way, uh, Tampa Bay picks 19th currently. Plenty of QB needy teams ahead of them. And if you're on board with the idea that we're going to have not three, but four, potentially five first-round quarterbacks, Tampa's going to have to do some wheeling and dealing unless they're going to sign someone this offseason. And to me, with Brady now gone, it makes more sense to move in the direction of the young QB more so than it does sign a veteran for a short-term solution. And you can still keep Trask on your roster like they've had the past couple of years. Coming up, we'll discuss Major League Baseball and the TV dilemma they have now and the solution they need to find moving forward. And at what point does winning not take over the number one priority for a program, for a campus, for a university? That's next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for the Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hunt and Withrow with you. Glad you're with us across the Outkick Network. Chad, simple question. At what point does winning not become the top priority? And I ask that because that's what I'm thinking as I watch what took place in Tuscaloosa this past weekend. And it, we saw it last week where he can, Brandon Miller continued to play. But the double down and then the way he handled everything from the pregame introduction where he's getting, you know, frisked 
tap, uh, uh, patted down. It just look it, optically awful. It just stupid. But they know what they're doing, and on top of that, putting that as the banner of your social media account, then deleting said account, for, further validates that he's doubling down on whatever Nate Oates is saying and not saying. I mean, I'm assuming he put this up as the banner right after Nate Oates' presser where he said, I assure you it's not going to happen again the rest of the season. I mean, it's just, they're going to continue to win. They're a very good team. Brandon Miller is a great player. But if you're the university, at what point do you have to say, look, there's a 23-year-old mother who died, who was killed, who was shot on the strip in Tuscaloosa, and we have players involved in this facing capital murder charges. And on top of that, our top player, and no one's disputing it, brought the gun back to the scene, which was used for said shooting. At what point do you say, yeah, we've got to sit him. We've got to sit him. And instead, they play him. And, I mean, I'm not surprised that he was cheered. I've seen uh, in our own backyard here, Pac-Man Jones was cheered after uh, a shooting that took place in Las Vegas at a strip club, um, which is another awful uh, set of circumstances. My point is, winning isn't everything. And this is a good example of it, where you have to take a step back and be like, what's really important here? And what's important is Harris who were naming a lot of names, the last name of Harris, that family who lost a 23-year-old daughter, that should be the focus of what we're discussing. And instead, it's a pat-down, it's ice in the veins, it's wrong place, wrong time. Kids, you know, they're going to go out and they're, they're going to do this, they're on a college campus, whatever. The focus should be elsewhere, and instead the focus is on winning. I, and I've got a radical spin on that, Hutton, to this question. It's a simple it's a simple question. I'll give you the simple answer to your question. This isn't worth it. What they're being hit with right now and the way people are going to look at this team and the way Nate Oates has handled it with multiple dumb comments, with the pat-down thing that I don't care if it happened all year or not, is completely tone-deaf and well, idiotic. Well, Oates isn't even sure if it has. Yeah, Because he doesn't watch it. Well, the whole thing is just stupid, right? I mean, it makes them look dumb. It makes them look careless, um, without a heart. Yeah. There's a lot of things that I think about Alabama basketball right now, and none of them good other than the fact they're beating a lot of teams, and Brandon Miller's a lottery pick that's probably going to go on and have a great NBA career. Other than that, can't say a lot of kind things about Alabama's basketball program or their fans at this point in time. And the fan part of it is expected. I mean, I... That's any fan base. Look, they're going to act stupid, and right. Alabama fans are going to act stupid around this thing, and they're going to blindly defend anyone around their program. So none of that really surprises them, but us. They're, they're also echoing the decision that has or has not been made. They're echoing that from their own university that they're fans of in response to those critical of the decision the university made. Going back to yeah. Dan Dockage last hour who said, like, you know, if, if they get out ahead of this – the coverage is way different than the way that we were responding to it last week and the way that it was handled internally and publicly through your head coach. Well, let me give you a radical spin on this. At what point is winning honestly detrimental, detrimental to their program? Uh, and I'll, I'll, say, I'll say it this way. They're going to get more and more of a spotlight the further they go on and the more they win, and they're going to look more and more heartless the more they win. Example, 
This thing happened back in mid-January, and Darius Miller in Alabama. Darius Miller, after you know being around this, Brandon he fled, Miller. Huh? Did I say Darius Miller? Sorry, Darius Brand, Miles. Brandon Miller. Darius Miles. Yeah, yeah. Brandon Miller. After this happened with Darius Miles, Brandon Miller was there. Uh, he saw it. He fled the scene when this happened. And then what? A couple days later. The day after all this news drops, it goes to Vanderbilt, and they win a game in ho-hum fashion. Then the news gets out about him having a part in this and physically delivering the murder weapon to the scene of the murder of a young mother. He goes out and has 41 points against South Carolina. There, there's a heartless factor to this that's really, really concerning uh, that I, I don't quite understand. I feel like it affected the rest of his team, in that game against South Carolina and has not affected Brandon Miller in the least. Now, Bama fans will give this a standing ovation and tell us how you know the kids fought through all this and whatever. Well, you know, I, I wish the young mother had a chance to fight through anything would be my response to that. And I think the more they win, the worse they look. If they were to lose quickly in the NCAA tournament, I think everyone would say, well, that's what you get. Right At some point, it's got to affect you negatively when yeah. all this is going on. If they win and win and win and win and win a national title, uh, I'm watching this documentary right now on SEC Network about the heritage of Southern hoops, and it's a five- or six-part documentary, and they go through some of the best teams in history, and they profile. And I'm thinking, what will they say 40 years from now about the 2022-2023 Alabama basketball team if they go on to win a national title? Are we really going to censor this part of it out of the story? and not discuss it, and not talk about how uncomfortable all of it is, that the coach failed to act at all with the star player when all this is going on? Or are we going to treat this historically the way it should be treated? As an abomination? As something that should not be allowed to go on? As something where if the coach and the AD or the president in Alabama is not going to step in? Is someone in the SEC going to step in? Is the NCAA going to step in? I mean, we... We saw it at Baylor well, when a lot of things went south. We right? know the NCAA's not stepping in. A yet. lot of other people had to step in, not Baylor people, when things got out of control. So it's just, it's an awful look. I think they're going to keep winning because it hasn't affected them yet. So if it hasn't affected them yet, I doubt it's going to. But that would be the spin on the question, Hutton. Does the winning almost affect it even more negatively where people well, say, well, I hope you guys are happy. I don't know, though. This is what you got, and now the family gets to watch you guys win all the time, and this just gets to continue. I don't know if it's winning as, as much as what's going on as they win. Like the introduction of Brandon Miller and, you know, you have the, the pat-down. Like that's, that's the highlight of what we're discussing. Meanwhile, if you rewind to, what, last Wednesday night, the highlights, the 41 points that the guy put up, sent it to overtime, then won it in overtime at South Carolina. Um, this is different. This is the, as I said on Docs this morning, spitting in the face of the family that, that lost a loved one. You know, and, and that's, that's where the focus has shifted. It's now like, oh, you know, everyone's calling for me to sit. I'm, you know, pat me down, you know. It, it, optically, just how awful that is. On top of the fact that they're, they're allowing him to play, they're not sitting him, they continue to make excuses for why or why not, and the little that they actually say, they're making excuses. But even after the introduction antics, Chad, Nate Oates is sitting at a podium saying, yeah, this is, 
this is something that I'm told has been going on all year. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't watch it. But, you know, it's not going to happen again the rest of this season. I can, I can guarantee you that. And they posted on social. So, uh, again, that we'll, we'll wait for the next excuse as long as the media will ask the question because the SID is saying game-only questions. Questions about the game only. It's no game here. Oh, like that, and, that's and, the, and, hey, Hutton, you know, don't worry about that because they've been doing it all year, and that's just an MMA thing. And there's no, Did no one think after someone was killed no. that, hey, maybe come we on. should cool it on the pat-down as you come through the starting lineup? Oh, by the way, they knew, apparently knew about Brandon Miller being in the car when the, where the gun was and all this going on. They continue to do it. There's not one person within the Alabama program smart enough to stop that. I don't buy it. Right. I think they're thumbing their nose at all of this. The and whole I, I situation. I don't believe that it's just coincidence. And I think that Alabama fans are emboldening them to do so with the way they're behaving. Right. And they're just going to continue to puff their chest out and act like it's us versus the world and everyone else is wrong and we're right and we've done nothing wrong and there's no introspection here. There's no one looking in the mirror asking if they could have handled it better before or after this t- terrible, tragic incident and crime. No one's doing any of that. And the fact that we're now shining a light on this Alabama media system where an SID has the gall to go into a press conference and say only questions about the game, I credit, and I want to find the reporter who did it, the first question. Chad, not only that, just real quick, find it. Not only is he saying ask only questions regarding today's game, He's doing it the Saturday after in the same week where the preliminary hearing named Brandon Miller as the guy who brought the gun back to the scene. So less than a week, a full week later, they're already saying, yeah, questions only about the game. Yeah, it was Nick Kelly. uh, Well, Nick Kelly of the Tuscaloosa News, he reported that when the first question was, have you reached out to the victim's family? Uh, Nate Oates said, I apologize for my previous, previous comments this week. We understand the severity of it all. I'm following the administration's lead on everything here. We're going to talk about the game only is what they would like for me to talk about. It's cowardice. And you know what that is? also is? They can hide behind attorneys all they want. If nothing that they have done, if they're not questioning it at all, and they feel like they've followed protocol and done everything the right way, they're not hiding behind this. Well, they're willing to talk about it more. They, the fact also... that they're telling their coach, don't answer any questions about it, to me, shows that they feel like they've done something wrong. Well, here. they don't want deep down. Anymore, they feel that way. They they don't want any more news to get out about what they did or didn't know because something that Nate Oates said earlier last week shows they didn't really compared, know. Or maybe they did. Well, well, he says, yeah, we knew about that. And answering the first initial response to the report, and not that the report, the testimony from the officer and law enforcement that's on the scene and was testifying to this in the preliminary hearing that eventually was, of course, now we'll head in front of a grand jury. Um, he's saying, yeah, we knew about that wrong place, wrong time. And then Greg Byrne later in the week prior to tip off at South Carolina is saying, yeah, I didn't find out about that text from Darius miles until the, the, the hearing took place until that testimony was known. So again, you're getting both sides of an answer and they're, what they're doing now is saying, yeah, coach is only going to talk about the game. We're going to have one voice in this. And maybe I mean, if that based on the details that will end up coming out. We'll get further reports off the, the grand jury and whether or not they come forward with indictments on the other two. 
Well, and look at all the missteps. But we won't hear anything else about Miller. Not just the decision not to discipline Miller at all within the program, whether it be a, a lengthy suspension or removing him from the team. Right. Not just that, but Nate Oates, his insensitive comments when he was first asked about it. The pat-down celebration, the right. frisking celebration, that then he had to come out and open his press conference saying that that's not going to happen again, and it was inappropriate. So it's just one thing after the Greg Byrne things are great when you bring up about oh, I thought you guys knew all about this. Nope, the AD says, I didn't know about this and the text message until the day it was leaked in the grand jury hearing. So there's all these things. They've botched it so severely, you understand why now it is, nope, we're not talking about any of it because we're tired of having to apologize every time we open our mouths about it. Right. Well, tough. The media doesn't have to abide by that. They get to ask whatever they want. So kudos to the reporter that yeah. stepped in there and asked that question first, regardless of what the SID said. Coming up, Major League Baseball's TV distribution problem and how to solve it, plus uh, the worst Will of Fortune answer maybe ever. That's next on Outkick 360. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Is this the worst Will of Fortune guests ever? Yes. Okay, 360 rolls on. Yes, it is. Uh, there's only one I can come up with that is right there on par, but this from Chad Mosher on social. I don't think I've ever heard a single audience member audibly have such a violent reaction on Will of Fortune as this lady did when a poor contestant called a G in fresh. So the answer is fresh tropical fruit. <laughs> and instead of the S in fresh. Every letter is available. And, Except for the S in fresh. And this... Sorry, every, every letter is on the board yeah. already. All they're lacking is the S in fresh. And it spells out tropical G. fruit. <laughs> they mean, went with G. This the, is next level. Now, my question is, is this recent? Or, you know, sometimes these things... I notice it's something with a college Jeopardy version. Yeah. It comes out every year. Someone posts it and it becomes viral, and it's from something from like 2014. It's an Indiana student I'm assuming. that has a terrible answer, and they just regurgitate it every year. Uh, I'm guessing this is recent, but I feel like sometimes these things will fool older, you. You know, being what the worst, like the worst guess that I can recall on Will of Fortune was when the the answer was Achilles, and someone said Achilles or something, Achilles instead of Achilles. There's a, in my car, so my, my songs that I've purchased or own over the years, it always starts with, I know exactly what your song is too in your car, mm-hmm. starts with the first one by song, it'll alphabetically, and mine is Achilles' Last Stand by Led Zeppelin. Okay. And every time it comes on, so I'll try to play like Kids Bop or Disney Hits <laughs> for my seven-year-old, and every time I plug my phone in, what plays is on the screen Achilles' Last Stand by Led Zeppelin. And every time my seven-year-old is asking so many questions about what is that word? Who is that again? Who is this Achilles? 
And I'm like, you know, Achilles was a warrior that he got hit in the back of the foot, and that's how we call it the Achilles tendon. Achilles is uh, also known but Brad she's, Pitt. But what does last stand mean? I mean, I, it is just a, a historical tutorial that I'm having to give my seven-year-old every time that song pops on. I'm thinking about downloading a new song that starts before that alphabetically just so I don't have to answer questions about Achilles anymore when the song pops on. Well, you, you have to be strategic. You just need to get ahead of the AC, right? Because it's downloading. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's, I, it's playing I need, the first I need, uh, alphabetical song. So w- what could you come up with other than – I'm sure there are better – versions yeah, for your kids. Like, is, there what, a, is there a song the that starts is, with Aardvark? Can I get like a kid song that starts with Aardvark? Doesn't the trick come down to what you're not going to be grilled over? Not necessarily that it's better. Yeah, it's and it's not like a, a you know dirty song or anything. Right. It's just every time, uh, Dad, who is Achilles again? And what is this last stand <laughs> that there's talking about with Achilles' last stand in this Led Zeppelin song? So i got to find something different. Yeah, we may be seeing the last stand of uh, Major League Baseball and regional sports network. So when Fox Sports sold the regional sports network to Sinclair, Sinclair it was like a $10 billion deal. And this is recent. Yeah. $10 billion sale. And they're now pointing to, you know, it's got to go away because it's not profitable at all. And the, on top of all of that, you know, they, they had the pandemic that they went through, sports playing, not playing, all that. And now it's come time to look at the numbers and the cord cutters. If you weren't doing it five years ago, you're doing it now. And it's becoming more and more difficult for the regional networks to turn the same audience for their advertisers that we were used to seeing. They're still making, I mean, individually, like everyone... Here in this region, you're tuned in to either the Braves, the Reds, or Cardinals. the Cardinals, really. But that's not the case in across the country, where you've got three regionally three teams around you to pull from, like we do here in Middle Tennessee. And if you're a fan of a team, you're going to keep up keep up with them no matter what. But it's got to become easier for the common fan to not get blacked out if you are subscribed to MLB TV instead of actually having the regional sports network. I think it's wild that um, with some of these deals, they can just like hand it back to the league. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. I, we know we signed this the contract, but the thing is that we're losing a ton of money and we can't sell this anymore because so much advertising money is going to digital or streaming and we can't sell the same ad space on regional sports networks. So here, Major League Baseball, just take it back. And do whatever you want to with yeah. it. And baseball just has to take it back. Because at some point, it's just not financially sustainable. I really think all of this points to you know something we talked about earlier with Apple TV and their streaming and what they're doing with MLS, which great reviews on the first weekend of MLS having – or Apple TV having all the MLS games on one streaming service. Their coverage was really good over one weekend – it's going to eventually go to an Apple or someone. This this two-game-a-week Friday night package on Major League Baseball I think is going to be gobbled up into 10 to 12 teams that have a failing regional sports network attached to them will go to an Apple, and you have to pay $100 for the season or whatever they charge if you're a Braves fan or a Cardinals fan or a Diamondbacks fan or whatever the team is. You go and get that via streaming, and you get every game that way. I, I, I really believe that's where we're probably headed. 
But Hutton, even that doesn't seem long-term sustainable for profit for Apple. I just bring up Apple because they're so rich. Yeah. And they can afford the huge losses for a while to go and gobble up these packages and spend money on it that way. But it's is it going to be profitable long-term? I don't know. Well, and you also have Warner Brothers, who's also they've recently told all these leagues that they're stepping out of the regional sports network idea and model uh, based on where the company sees revenue coming in versus not. Uh, they're companies, TV networks, they've got Discovery, TNT, TBS, CNN, TLC, Eurosport. They fell 6% to around $5.5 billion as a part of their overall fourth quarter revenue, uh, which they reported was $11 billion uh, as part of this entire cluster. But this is not just like baseball. This is all of it. Basketball, the whole thing. Um, but you NBA, know, you, NHL, MLB. Sports, all of it, yeah. That's, that's so, who again, this affects the most. That's, that's, but I wonder, like, so do you think we see something where you have, like, Warner Brothers, who then pulls everything together, then they create their own little sports app with all these properties they own, much like we've seen with Paramount Plus for CBS, right? It's like, going to well, take a company that big or bigger. That's why I keep pointing to Apple. Apple could do it. I mean, what Apple is doing, this is the great experiment with MLS. The MLS's growth is Apple TV's growth because they have no catalog to pull from. It's all about what they bring to the table. So what if they could strike a deal with Major League Baseball to carry every team and charge, depending on the team, a certain amount of money to see every game, to be an Apple TV Plus member? Would that make money for them? Yeah, yeah. Maybe. But... Also, it's just going to cost Turner and Warner. I mean, they've got the contracts already to do it. If you wanted to do that way, yeah. if you could turn it around and then sell the leagues on it. But even Turner's looking at this going, man, we saw a massive decrease in viewership for the All-Star game and everything involved. Headlines next, including the Padres payroll.